Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. Well, I was going to try to get through 1 Peter 5 today. I was going to try to go through all 14 verses, but you guys know me by now, and you know that's not possible. So uh, we're going to look at four verses instead, and these are four powerful verses. He concludes his letter about suffering on the topic of leadership. Isn't that interesting? Leadership. He's been talking about suffering, and he's going to conclude the letter by talking about leadership. You know what the church is? The church is a leadership factory that should be stirring up the gifts of God in people. That's what the church is. You know what the church is not? It's not an auditorium that gathers people behind a leader. The church is a leadership factory that should be stirring up the gifts of God in the people. Jesus did not build his church by recruiting 12 superstars. It's not what he did. He didn't go and pick out 12 celebrities who were the best and the brightest. The 12 he picked never were mainline speakers in large stadiums around the world. That's not what the the 12 disciples were. In fact, the 12 he chose, they were mostly blue-collar workers with little to no formal theological training at all. And that doesn't mean theological training is bad. I am a huge supporter of theological training and believe our pastors should be trained theologically. But Paul, Paul was the most educated of, of, well, I mean, he wasn't the original 12, but he was an apostle. And he would have definitely been the most educated, and God used him and his education. But the disciples, they were not your, they're not your Christian celebrities that you and I think of today, not superstar pastors. And yet through the Holy Spirit, Jesus uses this ragtag group of misfits to turn the world completely upside down. Peter, the guy who wrote the book today, man, he was messed up. Let's just be honest. The guy didn't know when to shut up. Guy cowered before a teenage girl, only then to cuss her out, and yet God used him not only to write the letter we're reading, but also to become the church's most courageous leader and premier preacher. When Jesus chose Peter, he wasn't a leader. He wasn't anywhere close to being a leader. He was a man in desperate need of development, and it was Jesus who made him into a leader. Now, if developing leaders is what Jesus got most excited about in the church, isn't that why, what should excite you and I today? Shouldn't we be excited about developing leaders? And why? why? Why should the church care about developing leaders? And why would Peter choose leadership as the topic to conclude his letter on suffering? Well, let me tell you why. Because times of persecution and suffering demand that God's people have adequate spiritual leadership. Think about it. The church that Peter is riding to is facing persecution. They're experiencing difficulties, and they're only going to get worse. We know that. We know history. They're only going to get worse before they get better. And Peter knows that as difficulties increase, leadership must increase. When things get harder, Christian leaders need to lead better. Man, think about the world that we are living in today. Things are getting harder, and Christian leaders need to step up. That was the world that Peter was writing to. It's also our world. So before you ignore me, though, because you're thinking, well, this passage is directed at pastors, you would be right. This, This is directed towards people like me who are serving the church as pastors. But the Christian, the the principle still applies to you. So you need to hang with me because this this passage is going to speak to you, right? Because we're all leaders. I'll say it again. We're all leaders. Some of you might not believe it, but you're a leader. No way around it. You say yes to Jesus, then you're a leader. Some of you are parents. You lead your kids. Some of you are big brothers, big sisters. You lead your younger siblings. 
Some of you are grandparents. You've got a whole generation of your family. Man, what a calling. Think about that. Some of you are leaders in your work. You own a company. Some of you serve on board. Some of you are shift managers, directors of sales. Man, I could do this all day. Some of you are coaches. I wish, I wish my coach would have understood he was a leader. Some of you are teachers. Thank God for our teachers. Give it up for those who teach. Man. Especially those who teach my kids. I, I really appreciate them. We're all leading someone. Someone is looking to us to set an example and help them make decisions in their life. And what the church desperately needs in this hour is for you to step up your leadership game. Now let's remember what world in which Peter wrote this. They had a bad government. It was about to get much worse. They had a bad economy. It was about to get much worse. People were suffering was about to get much worse. And between first and first Peter and Second Peter, it goes from bad to worse. In first Peter one, he talked about various trials. You remember that? And then in verse Peter four twelve, he talked about coming fiery trials. And the reason he writes Second Peter is because the fiery trials came. <laughs> and I hate to tell you this, but things are going to get worse. And I'm not, I'm not a pessimist either. I, I, I'm a firm believer in the Word of God. The Bible tells us that as the time for Christ's return approaches, evil and social chaos is going to intensify. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, that evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. How many of you know this? And if you don't, I don't, want, I don't want you to be scared today. That's not my goal. But you need to let this truth prepare you for life. The good news is that God doesn't abandon us. He's with us. He promises that he'll be with us always. I wish Peter would have written things that, I, w- I wish Peter would have taken the approach that things are bad, but don't worry, they're going to get good. In this life, don't worry, things are going to be smooth sailing soon enough. That's not what he does. He he doesn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite. He says things are bad, they're going to get worse. And our question today is, what are we going to do in these times? See, you may not be able to control the future, but you can control who you are when that future comes. And I think that's the, where Peter's going. That's, that's, he's building upon this truth. He wants you to understand this, that you cannot change the future. You can't, you can't change your circumstance or your situation that you're in, but you can change you. Leaders, they understand this, and not only do they get it, but they help others understand this. So I want you to look with me at our text today, because Peter's going to give us three qualities for a good leader. And I want to I remind you that you're a leader, and the church needs you today, okay? And as I study this, I'll be honest, you know, I love teaching God's Word, but I don't necessarily, when I'm in God's Word and I'm preparing for a sermon on Sunday, that's not my quiet time with the Lord. That's, in many ways, I've I'm, I'm got this mind where I'm dissecting the text and I'm trying to figure out how it's going to apply to the people. And it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me, but I always set a, a separate time during the day where it's my devotion time, my quiet time before God. I will say this. I will be really transparent with you. Preaching through First Peter has wrecked me. Man, it's every single sermon throughout the week, the Holy Spirit is just working on me. And remember, the context of this passage is to pastors. So I, I have taken it to heart these last few weeks as I've prepared these sermons and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me. And, you know, <laughs> the last two years have, have been difficult, right? Not just for the pastor, but for all those that have called this church their home church. It, we've made a lot of changes and we've, we're going down a new path, and, and there's been some difficult times, right, for the people and, and for your pastor as well, for the pastoral staff and all for the new pastors we've brought on. And I've loved First Peter because it's reminding me that he calls us, calls us, equips us, promises to be with us. That's encouraging. So I want to remind you as we, we dig into this passage that he's speaking to you today. Your leadership is needed in the church today. You're needed. 
The first thing, you look at verse 1, you need an experience with Jesus. If you're taking notes, write that down. You need a personal experience with Jesus. It says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory. Now first, notice this. Who is Peter writing to? The elders in which he, he is one also, he says in verse 1. He's writing to the elders. Now the word... It, it, the Greek word, we get the term Presbyterian from it. It refers to somebody who is mature, usually older, but not necessarily. Usually it's referring to spiritual maturity. Not an age thing, but a spiritual thing. Someone who is spiritually mature. Second word you're going to notice is shepherd. This is actually found in verse 2. I'll jump ahead a little but You're going to notice the word shepherd. The word's used in its verb form here, second person plural imperative verb. It's often used in noun form, and this word is an all-inclusive word, covers all the duties of a minister. Then the third word I want you to notice is also found in verse 2. It's oversight exercising oversight. In some of your translations, it says serving as overseers. This is another Greek word. We get our word uh, episcopalian from it. We get our word bishop from this word. It's an overseer, someone who has responsibility. All three of these words describe one person. It's the same person. It speaks of one individual. Three different words describe one person. The term elder describes his maturity. The term bishop describes his responsibility. And the term pastor or shepherd describes his ministry. He feeds the sheep. My favorite thing about this verse is that Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. The, the elder or the pastor is writing to pastors. I love that, especially as a pastor. There's something about pastors, when we come together, we, we just, we get it. We understand um, the demands and the duties of the job. And there's this safety, I think, sometimes when pastors can get together. And what an encouragement this probably was to have Peter write to him. But it's interesting that Peter doesn't call himself an apostle. He, he's not coming off with his apostolic authority. He was, he was, he was the leading spokesman for the group. And yet that's not that's not what he addresses himself as. He just says, I'm a fellow elder. You want to know something about your pastor? You want to know something about me? I'm one of you. I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I, I'm a shepherd, but I'm a sheep. I have sheep needs. I need, I need to flock together with you. Sheep need each other. A sheep by itself is in trouble. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Right? I love these words of Peter, the shepherd writing to other shepherds. And I want you to notice Peter's experience. In verse 1, it says he's a witness. He's a witness of two things. The first thing he's a witness of is the sufferings of Christ, and then he's a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. Now, it goes without saying you can't be a good spiritual leader without experiencing Jesus Christ. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care what seminars you've attended or leadership books you've read. If you have not experienced Jesus Christ, you will not be a good spiritual leader. It's a good idea for a spiritual leader to know Jesus, right? Now, look at the word witness. The Greek word is, is uh, where we get our English word martyr from. Usually when you think of of this word, we think of someone who gives their life for Jesus. And Peter went on to do that, by the way. Peter gave his life for Jesus. But originally, the word simply meant someone who tells what he has seen and what he has heard. So you, you have this experience with Jesus, and then you tell others about that experience. So every believer is called to be a witness in that sense. It's born out of this personal experience. You need to experience Jesus in order to tell others about Jesus. Then he uses the word partaker. And now looking to the future, he says this, and also a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. So unlike you, Peter says, I was personally with Jesus. I watched him suffer. I was there. But like you, I'm waiting for his return too. You want to know something today? I, I, I think older preachers, more seasoned, experienced preachers who have been in the ministry for a long time are better than us young guys. Can I just say that? A lot, of, a lot of older, more seasoned preachers, they're just better. I mean, they get up and they preach from experience. 
they've lived it. It's not just like this academic approach. It's not looking up in an illustration book that all the pastors have. I mean, they could come up with illustrations because they've been through it. They've lived through it. I hope that as I grow older in age and time and experience in the ministry, that my preaching will take on all that experience of walking with God. Not just theory or what I read in books, but as I grow, it's going to be more and more a part of my life, a part of my marriage, a part of my parenting, part of my finances. I'm going to be preaching from experience. It's interesting to me when I read First Peter, in light of Peter's own personal experience, that you can see, just reading the Bible, if you're a student of the Bible and you're reading this, you can see Peter's own personal experience coming out in verse 1. Look with me. This verse takes me to the Garden of Gethsemane in Calvary. The glory that is going to be revealed. Think about Peter's personal experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he got to see that glory. He got a taste of what's to come. How about the emphasis in verse 2 on the shepherd and the sheep? Definitely makes me think of what Jesus said to Peter in, in John 10, where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Peter was there when Jesus preached that message. What about verse 3 where it says, not domineering over those in your charge, coming from that time where Jesus, sorry, not verse 3, verse 1. Yeah, verse 3, I'm right. Ignore me. Not domineering over those in your charge, coming from that time where Jesus taught Peter in Luke 22 about humility and service. Man, he is preaching. He's, he's writing from experience here. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but in verse 10 of this chapter, Peter's going to say this, the God of all grace who has has you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Establish you. It's translated mending their nets in Matthew 4.21. It's the story of the call of the four fishermen in the ministry. In other words, Peter wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit out of his own experience with Jesus Christ. Peter had experience with Jesus Christ. He had a relationship with Jesus, and it was a growing relationship. And through that relationship, he was able to draw from those experiences and more effectively relate and minister to other people. Isn't that something? We all know life happens. We've been, we've been preaching it all throughout First Peter. Life happens, whether you're a Christian or not. Stuff happens, right? Timothy Keller said this, that no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. In that same book, he also wrote this, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Stuff happens. Peter has not lived an easy life up to this point, and he's drawing from those experiences. He's drawing from his own personal experiences where he got closer to God, his faith grew, and he's able to minister more effectively because he's been through it. Stuff happens. Saying yes to Jesus can actually bring more suffering into your life, at least temporarily, on this side of eternity. Last week, we learned that difficult times brings on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? We entrust our lives to Jesus, even in the difficulties, and we're going to be better, and we're going to be stronger, because we get to that point where Jesus is all we have, and we realize that Jesus is all we need, and we're better for it. Man, I would want you to pray. It, people ask me all the time, Pastor Justin, how, how can we pray for you as our pastor? This is, this is what I would tell people who want to pray for their leaders that we would have a deep, me and my staff, this is what I pray for you, that we would have a deep, intimate, powerful, living, vital relationship with Jesus. You know, I heard a story, I heard a preacher share this story about a man named Mike, and this is a true story. It was, he lived in California, and, and Mike was a blind man, and he would, every day or every week for his job, he would have to travel. I think he lived in San Francisco, and he'd have to jump on a plane and go to San Diego. And this happened every week. It was a part of his schedule, his routine. And uh, because he was blind, he took his uh, seeing eye dog on the plane, and because of the regular routine, he just got to know the pilots. He got to know the stewardess. He got to know them really well. And on one particular flight, something was wrong with the plane, and they had to land before they got to San Diego. And they just got on the, the system and said, hey, look, 
some, something's wrong. It's nothing serious, but we're going to fix it and get everything right. And so you can disembark, actually. You can go into the airport. Um, this is going to be about two hours. We'll need you all back about an hour and a half. Everyone got off the plane but Mike. Mike was still in his seat. And so the pilot noticed it, came back to Mike and said, hey, Mike, why don't you want to get off and, and go take a break? He said, I don't care where I'm sitting. I'm fine sitting on the plane. But uh, you could do a big favor for me. He said, I've got this dog and the dog, hey, this is unexpected. The dog's going to have to, you know, do what dogs do. And the pilot said, hey, no problem. I can, I'll take your dog. So he takes his dog and he's walking this eye, uh, seeing eye dog out into the airport. People see this pilot getting off the plane with a seeing eye dog. And, and not only that, but the pilot actually put on his big sunglasses and he's walking out. Everybody's thinking, oh my word, I'm switching planes. I'm not going to San Diego. You know, I think I'm going to take another plane. Nobody wants to fly on a plane with a, a blind pilot. Nobody wants to follow a spiritual leader that doesn't know the Lord. Nobody wants to follow a pastor that does not know the Lord. Nobody wants to follow any spiritual leader who does not know the Lord, who does not have a relationship with the Lord, who does not have experience to draw on. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about some spiritual maturity here. And as you grow in your relationship with Jesus through your experiences, you are going to become more effective in your ministry. So you need a personal experience with Jesus. In verses 2 through 3, they're going to show that. Look at with with me real quick at verses 2 through 3, you're going to need a willing heart. So you need a personal experience with Jesus, and now Peter's going to say you need a willing heart. Verse 2, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. As a believer, you should have a heart to serve. Not just a pastor. You, you, this is not a vocational. Now, it goes without saying that a pastor better have a heart to serve. But when you say yes to Jesus, you better have a heart to serve. Notice the term in your charge. Some translations say entrusted to you. Here's what God's saying. I, I will entrust you. I'm going to entrust to you. I trust you to take my flock and to be a steward over them. Again, the context is pastors, but... The principle applies to everyone who leads. God has entrusted your kids to you. He has entrusted your class to you. He has entrusted your small groups to you. He's entrusted the team to you. You all lead. We all lead in different ways. God has entrusted that ministry to you. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, I don't have a ministry. That's another sermon. <laughs> It says, not being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Here's what you need to know. As a believer, you have a calling. I've tried to hammer this home the last few weeks. I'm going to get real preachy with you. As a believer, you have a calling. If you have said yes to Jesus, there is a call and an anointing on your life to serve and build in the church. doesn't matter who you are. You have a calling. You said yes to Jesus. You just signed up. Now, a calling can sometimes be misunderstood because we hear it in certain contexts. You know, ministers tell stories about their calling. We have, some ministers have moments like that. I could probably count on my hand, and I mean on one hand, the amount of times where I have, have had God speak so clearly about something. I've experienced it in my life. But when I said yes to India, when I said yes to being a missionary, it wasn't because the Lord appeared in the middle of the night and said, real loud, Justin, I have called you to India. You shall go. I never had an experience like that. Even when I said yes to ministry at 12 years old, I didn't have an experience. I have called you to preach. Never heard that voice. I saw a need, felt a burden, said I could do that. I'll sign up for that. God, can you use me in that area? Now, most people will wait around all their life for a voice. But New Heights Church, I want you to understand this. We exist, the, the church exists, to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We exist to be a channel of God's purpose, to build a body of God's people who grow to look more and more like Jesus, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We help people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. 
In other words, they use their gifts to help build the kingdom. This is why we say in our core values on the wall, we commission every believer. I don't believe that anybody who calls New Heights Church is supposed to just sit in a chair on Sunday. You have a calling on your life to build his kingdom. In fact, do you understand that at at salvation, at the moment you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit not only places you into the body of Jesus, that's what 1 Corinthians says, and he seals you, that's what it said in Ephesians, but he also gives you spiritual gifts. We read that in 1 Corinthians. He gives each and every believer one or more spiritual gifts, and he expects you to use them. Why else would he give them to you? He gives us spiritual gifts with the expectation, expectation that we will use them to minister to other people. Some are going to serve the church through teaching, serving others, giving, a number of ways you can serve the church. But that is a call. That is a biblical mandate in the Bible. If you have said yes to Jesus, he, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift and you are to use it in the church. Here's your other calling, though, the Great Commission. That's a, for those who are new to church, that's a very Christianese word, but it's the, the last call that Jesus gave before he went back to heaven. We call it in the church the Great Commission. God's called you to tell others about Jesus. This call, like we said, is, it's the Great Commission. He expects every single believer to tell others about Jesus' death and resurrection and their sins. So if you're waiting to hear God's voice, here it is today. Are you ready? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's God's voice spoken to you right now. It's in his word. In fact, if you look at the original Greek at this passage, it's, it's actually a better translation is as you are going. I love that because as you are going, as you are doing life, as you're a doctor, as you're a nurse, as you're a teacher, as you're a business owner, make disciples of Jesus Christ. That leaves nobody out. We're all going. We're all living. We're all breathing. It leaves nobody out. That's your call. That's God's word spoken to you. Now, I want to get back to the context of our passage today. Peter's writing to pastors. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. The King James Version says, feed the flock. Feed the flock of God. And here's why. Because the term shepherd and the term feed were part and parcel with the same calling. The same nurturing. One of the primary callings of a pastor is to feed the sheep. This is where the Holy Spirit wrecked me. Okay? Let me just say from my heart to yours that this, my chief and primary responsibility as your pastor, is to feed the sheep. To feed the sheep. What do I feed the sheep? Well, I'm telling you what. It's not psychology. It's not philosophy. It's not politics. It's not my opinion or views, but the Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. When you come to New Heights Church, you should hear God's Word. That's why I read the text. That's why I explain the text. Then I apply the text. Because any pastor worth his salt will do three things. They're going to read the text, explain the text, and apply the text. Every verse of Scripture in the Bible has one meaning, not multiple meanings. Now, multiple applications, but just one meaning, and it's the pastor's job to get the meaning of the text by looking at it in a literal, historical, grammatical, theological interpretation. Not imposing on that text my ideas or views or springboarding. That's reading a verse and springboard to some modern popular topic to entertain people. That's not my job. Never uses, I, I, I never need to use the text as a pretext by taking it out of text. I always need to interpret the text in its context. Why? Because that's how you learn God's word. That's why Paul said to Timothy, preach the word and do it by being prepared in season and out of season. That, in other words, when it's popular and when it's not popular. Doing it by correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with great patience and careful instruction. And here's why, here's why Paul told Timothy to do that. Because Paul's going to go on and say, for the time will come. And can I just pause for a minute and say, trust me, the time has come. The time has come today in our world when men will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, they're going to go find preachers and churches that are going to preach what they want to hear. I do not like this preacher telling me what sin is. I want to interpret sin on my own. I don't need to be told that something in my life is that I shouldn't be doing something in my own life. I, I don't want to be offended. I don't like the way this preacher's preaching, so I'm going to go right down the road and find another preacher who's preaching what my ears want to hear. Here's... I want, to hear, I want to hear someone to preach, you're okay, I'm okay, all paths lead to God, God wants you rich, wants you healthy, sin is different to different people. And I'll tell you this, being a missionary for 10 years and getting to come back to America, I love my country. I'm a proud American. Man, we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. We really do. And I'm so grateful for our our armed forces. I'm so grateful for our military. I'm so grateful for the men and women that have served our country, for those that have given their lives so that we can have the freedom that we experience today. I love America. But I'm a little heartbroken with the state of the church in America, if I can be honest with you. Coming back from 10 years ago when I left and coming back now, it's a different environment in America today. And I'm not finding a lot of churches that really want to expound the Word of God. I've gone to a lot of churches, especially since saying yes to being a pastor. I've gone to all kinds of different conferences, and I've sat under all these different speakers talking about how to grow healthy churches. And I'm just amazed that I, I never hear much about prayer, and I never hear much about the Word. I just, I just had a book sent to me by somebody, and he said, you got to read this, Justin. It's going to totally change the way you do ministry, and... I'm going to be real honest, my heart was broken after reading it. Because the entire book is built around the idea that you've got to be real careful how you preach and teach God's Word on a Sunday morning so that you can get more people to come in. And then if you can gain their trust and their relationship, maybe down the road you, you have this opportunity to share. <laughs> the primary responsibility of a pastor is to preach the Word. There is nothing that I can say or do that are going to help people get out of sin. There's nothing I can. I'm not that creative. I'm not that good. It's the word of God that's going to bring life transformation. It's the word of God that's going to reveal the truth. It's when they turn to the truth and they submit their lives to Jesus that they're going to experience the power and the freedom that comes with saying yes to Jesus. And his principles in his book have the power for life transformation. That's what the world really wants. That's what they're hungry for. That's what they need. Man, I'll tell you what, I know preaching messages that people like, it's not expounding the Word of God, but it sure will build a big church. I get it. It won't make anybody uncomfortable. Man, they'll turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. I get it. If I say certain things, people might get offended. They might stop coming, and that, will, that maybe will tempt me, instead of faithfully preaching God's Word, to the, the focus is getting people in the building all of a sudden on being liked. And as I, as I read this, as I was wrestling with this text and, and just grappling with the text and the idea, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. Justin, you are called to preach my word. I never called you to be a popular. It's not a popularity contest. <laughs> but I like to be liked. Most people like to be liked, don't they? Most people don't want to rub people the wrong way. Most people want to have everyone say good things about them. That's, that's the temptation here. And yet Peter's saying, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you need to be willing. You have to have a willing heart to serve, and serving is being committed to God's truth. Peter knows the seriousness of this command because Jesus emphasized it to him personally. Jesus, after the resurrect, resurrection, asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter responded, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Sometimes translated tend or care for, but feed my sheep. It's what pastors do. They feed sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. He leads me into green pastures. My shepherd provides me food. 
One of the main tasks of a pastor is to make sure the sheep are being fed. Like I said, I get it. If, if Jesus only said it once, we might have wiggle room there. <laughs> but the three-peat kind of wrecks the possibility of anybody ever saying, well, we didn't really know it mattered. I have sat through sermons where people will say, wow, what an anointed preacher that was. That was so good. He, man, he was so passionate. He went from one side of the stage to the next. He jumped up and down. He was sweating. He was just preaching up a storm. And the whole time, he never once directed the, the congregation to the Word of God. I love the story of a Native American man. He was an older man. He went to church one Sunday and heard, heard a preacher. It was a Sunday when the preacher didn't study, didn't prepare for the message, so he tried to cover up his lack of preparation by being loud, and he would pound the pulpit, and he was very charismatic, and, and he would run back and forth. He really, he really put on an amazing show, and some people thought he preached up a storm, and that, that's what they said. He preached up a storm, and at the end of the sermon, they asked the old uh, Native American gentleman afterwards, what did you think of the sermon? And he said, I have six words, high wind. Big thunder, no rain. High wind, big thunder, but where's the rain? Where's the nourishment? I don't care if a preacher can preach up a storm. Where is the rain? This is why God, speaking through Ezekiel, the prophet said, prophesy against my shepherds, for should not the shepherds feed the flocks? When I came to this church, I told the board, before they ever even considered me that this is a conviction of mine. I am going to preach God's word. I will preach the Bible. I don't believe in taking the parts of the Bible that we all love and creating a series on it. Maybe pull a little bit here from the New Testament, throw in some Psalms when they fit my theme. No, I said yes to the call to build strong sheep, and you get strong sheep by teaching them the word. All of it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Good intentions. And, I, and as I read this book that I just had referenced earlier, I really believe that this author had good intentions. His intentions were he wants to see people come into the church. He wants to see the church full. And he's hoping that eventually somebody's going to share the truth with them, even if they're not hearing it from the pulpit, that somebody in the church is going to share the truth with them at some point. But good intentions don't change lives. The power of the gospel shared with clarity and conviction does. That's what changes lives. I love Max Licato. He says it this way. The words of the Bible have life. God works through these words. The Bible is to God what a surgical glove is to the surgeon. Love it. I hear the church wanting revival. I hear it. I heard it as a missionary traveling from church to church over the last 10 years. I heard people over and over say, I want revival in the church again. I want to see it. I want to see the, the altars packed with people who are praying. I want to see lives coming to Jesus. I want to see the Holy Spirit move during a worship service. And I want it all. I do too. Me personally, I want it. I grew up in a Pentecostal home, five generations of Pentecostal believers. And I've heard the miracles, miraculous stories from my dad. I've heard the miraculous stories from my grandpa. I heard about all the miraculous stories with my great-grandpa and my great-great-grandpa. I want my generation to experience the power of the Holy Spirit too. I do. But hear me out. Unless we get committed to God's word, it won't happen. Go study every single revival in the history of our world, and it starts with a recommitment to God's word. Everybody's surprised by that. Well, what about Azusa? Well, what about, what about Topeka, Kansas? What about those revivals? It started out with a Bible study, a group of people saying we're going to commit ourselves to God's word again, and then the Holy Spirit moves. Isn't that ironic? When God starts speaking to his people through his word, all of a sudden we're more open to surrendering and the Holy Spirit has more room to work in our lives. You want to see a revival, we've got to commit to God's word again. We have to commit to God's word. Come on. So the church is holding out for a hero. You're needed. Your leadership is needed. A leader is somebody who knows the way, goes the way, then shows the way. He leads by example. If you're going to lead, you need a personal experience with Jesus, Peter says, and then you need a, a willingness to serve, and you need to understand that a willingness to serve is saying yes to being committed to the Word of God. And last but not least, you need the right motivation. I love this. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
one of the most beautiful titles of Jesus ever, the chief shepherd. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I am the under shepherd to Jesus. This is not my church. This is not my church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. Peter heard that sermon, but there where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. But here it says that he's the greatest shepherd. He's the best shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. We're all just under shepherds fulfilling our call that he's entrusted to us. And now you're going to remember that up to this point, Peter's encouraging a suffering group of people. You remember that, right? And one of the ways he encouraged them is he says, hold on, it's tough now, but later on when Jesus comes back, you're going to get a reward. The best is yet to come. Look forward to the future. Hey, moms and dads, we do this with our kids, right? I have to do it with Liam all the time. Look, I need you to be good in class for six hours. I need you just to behave. If you can do that, if you can make it through the six hours, I got a treat for you, okay? You're going to get a treat. When I go to people's house, I always have to carry candy in my pockets. If you ever invite me to, to your house, it's not that I just love candies. It's I'm, I am motivating my kids to behave themselves. I will show them candy. Liz always says, your kids are not dogs. Because I'll show them a little candy and I'll say, remember. <laughs> Be good. If I have to, I'll, yeah, sure. <laughs> This is what Jesus is saying, or Peter, excuse me, he's saying, man, hold on. The best is yet to come. The right motivation for ministry, here it is. Are you ready? Jesus Christ. It's really simple. Your motivation in serving the church should be a passion to please Jesus and Jesus alone. Of all these verses, this might be my favorite. Tells them all the things they need to do, feed the flock, take on the oversight, do it willingly, be examples to the flock. And why? Because verse 4, Jesus is the chief shepherd and he is coming back and you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love it. Guess what I'm looking forward to one day? The unfading crown of glory. So many things I love about being a pastor. I told you the last two years have been difficult. That's because I'm always transparent with you, probably, probably too much sometimes. The last two years have been really difficult, also been the best years of my life, best two years of my ministry life so far. I love being a pastor. I absolutely love it. I wake up every day, and I love going to, to my job. I get to serve one of the greatest congregations, and I don't just say that. You guys are some of the most amazing people. And I, I, I love it. I love it. There are days that are hard, but I absolutely love this job. In fact, when I go on vacation, you can ask my wife. She almost gets offended because I'm so excited to get back. So excited to get back to my church, the people that I love, the people I get that I'm called to serve. And I'll be honest, I am amazed at the support I get from this body of believers. So let me just brag on you for a little bit. You are not normal. You are not normal. It's a good thing, though. I'm beyond proud of this congregation. Truly, I believe this church is, is not the norm when it comes to loving their pastor. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it, the cards, the emails, the text messages of encouragement. Know that when you do it, it truly builds me up. Moments when I am low, I, I, I receive an encouraging text message. I'm going to just, I'm going to call her out by name. I got to Bunny Lunsman. Bunny Lunsman. You have no idea how much your ministry has blessed me and carried me. There are times where I am so low and I will get the nicest, sweetest text message from you. I love you so much. I cannot thank you enough for your support, your encouragement, you just being led by the Holy Spirit. How about Darlene Miller? Darlene, I saw her today. Same thing. Man, I'll be at my lowest point. Darlene will come up and just speak life into me. Encourage me. Hug me. Tell me you're doing a great job. What a great sermon you preach. You have no idea how much it ministers to me and blesses me. Annette McDonald, wherever you're at. Man, I love you. She's sitting by Regina Hansen. There's another one. Regina told me to never call her name from the pulpit, so I'm going to get it after the service. I'm going to get it. And you know Regina's good for her word. She says, 
I'm going to run from Regina afterwards. But Regina encourages me, man. This is just a church full of people that just will love me and encourage me and intercede for my family. They will lift their pastor up, their shepherd up. It's just amazing. It's incredible. You're not normal. But here's the truth, that if God had called me to a congregation that wasn't like this one, and if he had called me to a congregation where they were nasty and they were mean and they were sheep that always were biting and they never had anything good to say about me and they were running my name through the mud, guess what? I still would have said yes. Still would have said yes. Because what motivates me is not, not that I, and I love hearing great sermon, great, please don't stop. <laughs> I love all of that, but it's not why I do what I do. I do what I do because I want to one day hear, well done and faithful servant. Well done. Jesus is who I'm aiming to please. And I love all of you dearly. I love serving you. But in the end, it's Jesus that I'm going to stand before and give an account to. And I have to remind myself that because sometimes when you when you sign up to serve, you, you don't get the chance or the opportunity to please everybody. So here's what I'm saying. I know it's directed at pastors, but it, the principle applies to everyone. So you said yes to Jesus. You're part of New Heights Church. This church can only grow if you step into your gift. It can only grow because you guys are going to embrace the vision and say yes to the call. Yes to the call to serve. And and I want you, don't sign up because you want to please people. That's why you do it. You're, you're going to be miserable. You're never, and I mean never, going to be able to please everyone. So do it because you want to please Jesus. Stuart Briscoe said this, here's the qualifications of a pastor. He needs the mind of a scholar. He needs the heart of a child and he needs the hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> I, think, I, I think those are the quali- qualifications for anyone who says, I'm willing to serve. Sign me up, I'm gonna do it. Let me teach a Sunday school class. Let me pour into the youth. Let me, hey, I'm gonna sign, I'll work in the nursery. I'll lead a small group. You need the mind of a scholar. You need to love God's word. You need to be in God's word. You need the heart of a child, and you need the hide of a rhinoceros. Because <laughs> serving won't be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to always have your critics. You will always have pushback. But God is calling you to it, and you will persevere. There was a legend about an old shepherd. An old man was walking from village to village with a young boy and a donkey and a flock of sheep trailing behind He came to the first village and he was walking next to the donkey and the people of that village called him a fool. When he could be riding, he's walking. He ought to be riding the donkey. So to please the people, he got up on the donkey and he rode. He went to the second village and the people of that village said that he was cruel because he was letting a young child walk while he was riding the donkey. So to please the people, he got off the donkey and put the young child on the donkey. And they went to the next village. When they got to the next village, they said that the boy was lazy and the older guy was helping him be lazy by letting him ride the donkey while he was walking. They should both be riding the donkey together. So to please the people, the old man and the young boy were riding the donkey to the next village. When they got to the next village, the people of that village said, cruelty to donkeys. His donkey is supporting the weight of two people. It's horrible. The last time they saw the shepherd, he was walking down the the road carrying the donkey to the next village to see what they would say. Guess what? That is serving. (laughs) That's what you're saying yes to. You're saying yes to serving, not to pleasing people, but to pleasing the chief shepherd. Pleasing the chief shepherd. Shepherd, And Peter wants you to know this right now. If you're serving, keep serving. If you aren't serving, start serving. And remember this. I know that so many times we're, we're driven by what other people think. If we're honest, how often do we, we let the opinion of other people drive us, drive our decisions, our influence, all of it, if we're honest? Of course we do. Some, some of you might say, not me. I'm an independent thinker. I go my way. I don't even care. Sounds like the words of a defensive teenager. It's like my 13-year-old daughter when I catch her in the act of something she shouldn't be doing. Not me. I'm an independent thinker. I go my own way. I don't care. Of course we do. We do. That's not even a bad thing. Some of some of that is is social skills. You know, it can be can translate into being kind and to being considered, considering how other actions will be received and perceived. There can be wisdom in that. We want other people to like us. And 
And on the flip side of that, we don't want other people not to like us. I get all that. But when you sign up for ministry, when you say yes to Jesus, he is now the one you are aiming to please above all else. And so that's my prayer. That's where I want to close today. Got through four verses. We'll get through the rest of the chapter next week. What God needs is leaders, spiritual leaders, people who are willing to have a personal experience with Jesus, willingness to serve. And who's listening? (laughs) Willingness to serve, or experience with Jesus, a willingness to serve and... right motivation there it is right motivation this is our church this is our next season this is what he's looking for so i'm going to close out the service i'm going to dismiss you the band's going to stay up here and play but after i close in prayer you are dismissed you can leave i'm i've on my our connections card i have had the same next steps for three weeks now that's been intentional not because we're lazy it's been intentional we want you to jump in and serve we want you to find your place so i want you to pray and ask the holy spirit Where is it you want me to serve and lead and go in this next season? And I want you to check that box. We're going to have ushers in the back. You can give it with them. We pray over those connection cards. We really do. I promise you we do. And we need you to fill that out. Band's going to play. I'm going to close in prayer. Our prayer leaders are going to come up front. This is a time of prayer for those who who can stay. Jesus, we just love you right now so much. We give you all the praise and the glory. It is a privilege to be a part of your church, a privilege to be called your child, and a privilege to just to to be called to this. God, not just not just pastors saying yes to Jesus, to be called to building your kingdom. That we've experienced salvation and now we get to go share that with the world. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts right now. God, as we would be willing and open to saying, God, where is it you want me to serve? What are my gifts? God, if they can't find gifts, this is a church right here, and we want to come alongside them, help them find their gifts. We want people to know you. We want people to, to find the freedom that comes in having a relationship with you. We want people to discover their purpose, and we want people to make a difference. That's why we exist as a church, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So speak loud and speak clear to the hearts of all those that are here today. And I pray that there would be a boldness to take that next step. I pray this in Jesus' name.